This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Tuesday Show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Today is the intro was playing. I was listening to John do the introduction. And all I could think about, and this is just the way my crazy mind works, all I could think about was after hearing that voice, who wants to hear my voice? John's a friend and, and uh, I miss him. Uh, this is the word to stand up for life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, questions about the Bible, questions about life, whatever is on your heart. All you need to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. You can call toll-free if you live outside the local San Antonio area by dialing 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email your question to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app, which is also free. If you're driving in your car, and we won't be able to do that for much longer, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Uh, just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. I'm going to get right to the questions while we wait your phone calls. If you are struggling with some stress or some fear or just cabin fever, if you need to get something off your chest, we'd love to hear how you're dealing with this crisis. As I said a moment ago, things change uh, a lot tomorrow and um, we can help you through it. We'd love to have the opportunity. I'm going to use the first question. I got it. It's not the first one I received, but it's it's about uh, this uh, virus crisis that we're having. It is sent in anonymously. I'm going to use it to share my heart with you a little bit and read something to you that a colleague of mine, uh, a Calvary Chapel pastor in California, sent out. It's not original with me, but I think it might be even a prophetic word, at least to some degree. Uh, the question anonymously is, why do you think God is allowing this virus scare? I'm afraid. Um, before reading that statement, let me just say, God um, isn't causing this, and you use the word allowing it, but God doesn't cause these things. God uses everything. Romans 8.28, God works all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose, and that includes even bad things, anonymous. And so when you are afraid... Here's what you do. You remember the words of Jesus. Do not be afraid. Do not worry. Trust in me. Over and over and over. He reminds us how trustworthy he is. 
He reminds us of how much He loves us. Why is God allowing it? I don't know, but the only thing God is doing is not stopping it. And pandemics are nothing new in the history of the world. Um, we're better able to deal with them now, and certainly they're not like they used to be in the old smallpox days or the bubonic plague days. But here's what I know God is doing. He's using it to win people to Him. Let me read this to you. I think this is a really important word. Again, it's written by a colleague, a pastor, Calvary Chapel pastor in California. And he was just, I think, trying to encourage the rest of us. It's quite a little bit lengthy, but I think it's worth listening to. He says, It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. A man's heart plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. See, the Lord is the God of disruptions. Think about that. That's me inserting here. He is a God of disruptions. He wants to disrupt our lukewarm lives, our comfortable lives. Continuing reading, He is in control of all things, and He is the great messer-upper of human plans. Noah was going along minding his own business when God stepped in, disrupted whatever plans Noah had, and told him to build an ark to reboot the whole world. At the Tower of Babel, under Nimrod's rule, the whole world had a plan, believing they were building their own utopia. But God came down, messed up their plans, and disrupted all their lives with a humble restart. And by the way, this is me inserting again. The world that we live in believes that they're making things better when in fact we're not because we're running away from God. And we're trying to flex our independence muscles from God and God's simply not going to let it happen. So God came down, messed up their plans. He's messed up our plans. I'll continue reading. Abraham was chilling in his land of idolatry until God disrupted his life of ease and told him to get going and keep going until the Lord told him he's arrived. Moses was enjoying his retirement, hanging out with somebody else's sheep when God disrupted his life, messed up all of his plans and sent him on an extraction mission in Egypt. David was playing his music, thinking about his next composition to guide his father's sheep when the Lord anointed him king and took him from leading sheep to shepherding the Lord's chosen people. Mary was doing whatever she was doing in preparation of her marriage when she was told that she'd been chosen to give birth to the Messiah, Jesus, the Son of God in the flesh. And Saul was on his way to murder some more Christians when the Lord stepped in and knocked him down, disrupted his eyesight, messed up all of his plans, and changed his name to Paul. You see, when the Lord brings disruptions, he alters the entire course of human history. However, it's not been since Genesis 11 that the Lord has messed up the plans of man at one time on a global scale. Today, the Lord is acting on a global scale according to his own plans and disrupting every plan of man. He's destroying the idols and everything mankind trusts in for comfort, security, pride, and the illusion of power and control. Now that he's gotten the world's attention with the coronavirus, the Lord is calling us to look up 
but he's commanding true believers in Christ to unity and faithfully show the unbelieving world Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. The Lord created one race of humans, and his heaven will be filled with nothing but true believers from every nation, tribe, and tongue under the sun. Through this virus, the Lord is showing us that he's not interested in the color of your skin. In parentheses, he writes, it's dust, meaning the skin. He's concerned about his glory. He's not partial to your cultural traditions. He's concerned about the truth of his word and salvation found in Christ Jesus alone. The Lord's judgment begins first at the house of God, and he's calling us to forsake our idols, our compromise, our pride in slandering our brothers while trying to draw others to ourselves in an effort to build our own empires under the guise of being torchbearers of all that is right. John thirteen thirty five. By this all will know that you love, you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Galatians five fifteen and sixteen. But if you bite and devour one another, beware, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And he closes with this short paragraph. He says, So we all have this choice. I can trust the devil I know and stay the person I've always been. Or I can trust God to become the person I've never known or have ever been. And what he's asking us is to make a choice. You know, I'm the most change-resistant person any of you probably will ever know. I could live my life in one-mile square radius. I, I, uh, I'm not up for adventures. I'm not an exciting guy in any fashion or form. But when God begins to move, He always begins by shaking out His church. Now, I said at the beginning, before reading this, I think this word... Is prophetic. That doesn't make my colleague a prophet. You know that. But this is a prophetic word. If I'm right, and Jesus really is coming soon, then what he's going to do is shake up the world again, but he's got to prepare us to be the shakers and the movers. Every time God has moved the whole world at one time, It's been about judgment to come. And for you, our listeners in this audience, Christians, we have to be men and women who allow God to shake us. we got to get off the bench and get into the game. It's our responsibility to tell people that judgment is coming, Jesus is coming. And if you surrender your heart to him now, you can meet him as friend. But if, if you resist now, then you're going to meet him as foe. But make no mistake, you're going to meet him. And with every fiber of my being, I believe that Jesus is getting ready to rise to call his church. And until that moment, we have the responsibility and the privilege of being able to share the glorious gospel of our blessed God with people who are afraid 
people whose whole lives have been disrupted. We can sit and complain. By nature, I'm a complainer. That's just who I am. By nature, I'm a complainer. But in Christ, in the Spirit, we can look up and we can say, Jesus, what are you going to do? And then we can, all of us, we can say, use me. All we have to do is be available. Not able, he will make us able. But all we have to do is be available. So Anonymous, the long answer to your question is, that's why I think God is allowing this virus scare. 1 Peter 4 says, judgment begins at the house of God. Before God can judge others. He's got to determine who among us is with him. And I'm with him. I'm with him. 340-9585 Here's a question from Jesse Uh, Pastor Ron, do you think there's only one person in the world God wants you to marry and how do we find that person? Jesse, I don't know I don't think there's like a soul mate where there's only one Now obviously God knows who it is you're going to marry and he's going to help you walk that path to get to that person but it isn't like God looked all over the world and said you know, Ron, I, I have a lot of compassion on you, so I'm going to... Uh, Paula is the one you're going to marry. It's not like God looked at Paula and said, you know, you must have done something really bad because I'm going to stick you with this jerk. The truth is, we can fall in love with lots of different people. The thing that we need to do, Jesse, is follow Jesus and he'll take you to that person. Our problem for most of us is that we're trying too hard to plan our own steps. We're trying to control our own destiny. We're online and we're swiping right. What we've got to do is decide to trust the Lord. And I promise you, if you'll walk with Jesus, if you just be with Jesus, then one day you're going to be exactly where you need to be. And you'll look up and there'll be that man or that woman. And you'll know. You'll just know. So, Jesse, no, I don't think there's only one. But maybe if you lived your life now like there was only one and you were just saving yourself for, and I'm not talking about just sexually, just begin to pray for the woman that you're going to marry. You want to find that person, start looking in church where you can watch somebody's walk. Somebody that you know's faith is authentic. Somebody that you can look at and and really know that they really do love Jesus. You can tell it. It's what saved me. I knew that Paula really loved Jesus. So I hope that answers your question. Thank you for asking. Let's go to San Antonio on line one and talk with Margaret. Margaret, thank you for calling. You're on the radio. You're welcome, and I just want to say we can use this time to count our blessings. Uh, for many years, my husband and I have wondered about our jobs and have been unhappy. I clean for a living. 
I'm trying to start a new business, and my husband has just recently got a job debt collecting. And now he is working at home, and I still have my job. Well, a lot of people are losing their jobs. Mm-hmm. So I have to say to my husband this morning, uh, honey, is this why we still have these jobs? He's provided for us. Yeah. He has, and you know, as you are are implying, Margaret, there's a whole bunch of people whose futures are really, really insecure right now because they don't know if they're going to have jobs to go back to, and money is going to run out. So those of us who are are working gainfully, uh, we need to be grateful. You know, Margaret, before I was saved, I, I was a businessman, and at one one point, I had 420 people working for me. And I remember doing interviews with people, and they would come in and they'd put their best foot forward, and they'd say, tell me how hard they were going to work and how grateful they'd be for the job. And I always used to tell Paul, I said, you know, Paul, I need to record those interviews so that when people tell me how hard they'll work, I'll have it uh, officially recorded. And then when they stop working after about two weeks, I can say, hey, what happened to this guy or what happened to this woman? And and the problem is we get so ungrateful so quickly uh, as we get accustomed to our circumstance. I think, sadly, the same thing is true for many of us in our walk with the Lord. So I am grateful that you and your husband would sit down and be grateful and give God not only thanksgiving, but in doing so, bringing him glory. Um, But being truly grateful. Gratitude is important always, but especially in a time like this. Also, one more thing is I've been Mm -hmm. doing this job for many years, and I have learned God teaching me, you have to work hard and you have to be a moral person whether people are watching you work or not. Mm -hmm. And love the people. Show them Christ. Now, a lot of people I work with, unlike you, do not want to hear about God unless they're Christians. (laughs) So try to pray for them. Margaret, I I like cleaning, but the truth is when you're cleaning, whether it's homes or businesses or something, it's easy to get into routine and cut some corners. And when you're working as unto the Lord, you're doing it because you love God and you're representing Him with your work. And so you want to do it to the best of your human ability. And uh, thank you for being such a light for Jesus. Yes, thank you. And it's taught me a lot, too. And I've learned uh, through this job, God has taught me how to deal with wonderful people and unhappy, disrespectful, angry, bitter people. Yep. We need to learn it. Thank you, Margaret. I appreciate it very, very much. 340-9585. 340-9585. I told Margaret I like cleaning. I've been a, sort of a clean freak my whole life. But cleaning is good because you can see your progress. It's instant gratification. Um, uh, I think it's it's really good. Our um, The lady who cleaned our home, um, she had a business, and, and uh, she cleaned our home uh, for uh, um, some time, many years. Uh, and she used to talk to us about all of her other clients. And she came to our church, obviously, and she was, she loved Jesus. 
and and she would say, oh no, they don't want to hear about Jesus, but but no matter what home I'm in, they know that I'm working for Jesus, and they hear it all the time, and they loved her because she did a good job, but they loved her because when she was there, there was a light in the house that was missing the rest of the time, so a very, very valuable witness. Margaret, thank you very, very much. Here is a question from Darren. He said that when Jesus said to pluck out our eye or cut off our hand, what did he really mean? Uh, Darren, you infer that he didn't mean literally to pluck out our eye or cut off our hand. But what he's talking about is how we should respond to sin. If your hand offends you, cut it off. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. And that's what he's saying. He wants us, Darren, to hate sin so much that we're willing to be extreme in our battle against it. Christians need to learn to hate their sin. Not just hate sin in general, we all would say that, but I mean we need to really learn to hate our sin. If we get up in the morning and we're grumbling and complaining, we need to recognize that and hate that that's who we are in our flesh. That's why Paul called himself a wretched man. He hated the fact that he couldn't do what he wanted to do and what he didn't want to do. That's what he kept on doing. And that is an autobiographical statement Paul is writing. It's in the continuous present tense in Greek. It doesn't mean this was an experience he had before he was saved or, or, or he was speaking generally. It was in the first person and it was intentionally worded so that we couldn't miss it. This was his struggle. And the problem, Darren, this is why Jesus went to the extreme he did in sharing the illustration. We just don't hate our sin enough to be radical in getting rid of it. And so Jesus said, here's how you deal with sin. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. And, and while we're certainly not going to do that in a literal sense, what we're intended to understand here is that the heart of Jesus is that we would hate our sin so much that when it rears its ugly head, now it rears its ugly head in every one of us, but when it does, that's the moment we've got to say, I hate this, I don't want to do it anymore, I'm going to stop no matter what it costs us to stop. And Darren, that's exactly what Jesus meant. Good question. Here is a question from Rhonda. Do you think we're the last generation before the rapture? Rhonda, I do. I really, really do. Now, when I say that, I'm aware that there are always people who who think, oh, Christians have been saying Jesus is going to come back for 2,000 years. And it's true. We've been saying Jesus is coming back. The first century church expected to see Jesus at any moment. I always have this image in my mind of them getting up in the morning, and the first thing they did before anything else was check the eastern sky. When I go out for my morning runs and then prayer walks that the runs turn into, first thing I do when I get out is I look in that eastern sky and I worship the Lord. I I, am grateful because I know that eastern sky is where he's going to come from. And I believe with every fiber of my being 
that we are the last generation. Now, that doesn't mean I'm naming dates. I don't want anybody to say, well, you're a false teacher because nobody knows the hour of the time. I realize that. But all you have to do is look at the signs around us. And that statement that I read from one of my colleagues at the beginning of the program today demands that we're out there telling people that Jesus is coming. Judgment is coming with them. You don't have to be judged. And because the Lord has the attention today of the whole world. You know, in the West, we Americans especially have always thought, you know, we're the land that God blesses. And and no, he, he loves everybody. He'll bless everybody. But before he can do that, he's got to get everybody's attention. You see, the world has tuned him out. The world has been ill-concerned about holiness. We like to believe that we can do anything and everything on our own. Instead of hearing Jesus say, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so I think he's trying to get our attention. And it's not just an area. You know, we have an earthquake or we have a tragedy somewhere in the world. We can say, well, God's really trying to get their attention. But this virus has gotten the attention of the entire world. And we better look up. We better pay attention. Because, Rhonda, I do believe we are the last generation before the rapture. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We have 30 minutes left in the program, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. Got a question for Pastor Ron and the word to stand on for life? You can send it to him via email at PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our program today. We'd love your calls or questions if you're struggling with this um, virus crisis that we've got going on. Uh, we'd love to hear your heart and maybe be able to pray for you. Jennifer asked, would you marry someone in your church who is marrying somebody from a different Christian denomination? Uh, Jennifer, yeah, I would do a wedding if if um, somebody was marrying a, um, a Christian. That's, that's the only thing that matters. Um, if it was somebody in my church who was doing it, then there would be, before I did the wedding, there'd be pre-marriage counseling. And I would talk about the importance of, of worshiping together. Um, you know, we've, we've had this happen over and over and over throughout the years where somebody who grew up in our church uh, falls in love and there's, um, um, we got to decide where we're going to go to church kind of thing. And, and we're going to talk to them about walking together. How can two walk together unless they agree to do so? So I don't see a problem at all marrying somebody from a different Christian denomination. Uh, however, we want to be equally yoked. Now, marrying a Christian is the right thing, but sometimes um, people that grow up in 
uh, especially mainline denominations. They have a different view of life, a different view of God, a different view of their relationship to Him. And and we want to talk about those things, Jennifer, before we actually uh, perform the wedding. Um, but but every time that we've done it, it's turned out really, really well. And in all the cases, at least as it relates to this particular church, uh, the one who was from a different denomination moved uh, over into our church and just found a, a wonderful body life here at Calvary Chapel. And, and th- those people are serving the Lord together. So... Um, yes, I would. I would marry someone who was from a different Christian denomination. You know, uh, Jennifer. One of the interesting things, um, emotions that your question brings up uh, to me. You know, when when you watch these kids grow up, and and I mean, they are like my kids and grandkids. They really are. And you see them grow. You know about their heart for Jesus. You you've watched them serve. You've seen the Spirit of God move upon them and through them in ministry. And one of the things I always just sort of hold my breath when they come and they say, Pastor Ron, I found the one. And I'm thinking, oh, please, God, I pray they love you. And um, usually the, the answer to that has been, yes, they, they love the Lord. So 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Here's a question from... Andrew, he says, my question is about how teens should serve in the church. There doesn't seem to be ministry opportunity in the youth services. You know, Andrew, one of the reasons that that youth ministry has always been problematic is because they're trying to entertain kids instead of teaching kids the concept of, of servanthood. So this is a great question that you're asking. Teens should serve in the church in the same way that adults do. Um, we, we actually have a program here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio um, where from very little kids um, called Growing in Servanthood and they serve with their parents in certain ministries. And we'll have uh, kids serve with their parents in the usher ministry or kids in the cleaning ministry. One of the great things you'll see at the end of church here uh, at the end of third service you'll see uh, a little kid standing on the sink who's wiping the mirrors down because he's serving with his father or or she's serving with her mother um, in the cleaning ministry. Uh, we've got kids that run up on the stage at the end of the services with their little guitars because they want to serve doing worship. And my my worship pastor will help them out and teach them. And, and it's just a really neat thing that's going on. So they ought to be doing um, everything the adults do. Um, but for that to happen with with youth ministry, especially high school age ministry, we want them to come. But for that to happen, we've got to teach them that this is a body they're here to serve. We're not there to meet their needs. They're here to serve God. And we do a good job of teaching them that by teaching the Word. Uh, coming to, to um, high school church here at Calvary Chapel or junior high school church, isn't particularly fun in the sense it's dynamic and there's games and there's cool beanbag chairs and stuff like that. We sit in chairs and they teach the Word. And the result is young men and young women who really, really get it and they are equipped when they go out into this world in the near future, whether it's university or a job or anything else, they're equipped and they can make a stand. 
And so go to your youth pastor and tell him, I want to serve. Where can I serve? If he doesn't have a place for you to serve, then go to your senior pastor at the church and say, I want to serve. Where can I serve? And there's always opportunities to serve. And Andrew, when you begin serving, as you seem to understand, that's when God begins pouring himself out all over you and through you to others. One of the delights of my month, every month, is Communion Sundays. Because when I look out and see the ushers passing out the elements for Communion, there's always little kids with them serving as well. Connected with the adult, but they're serving. And the adults enjoy it. We get to tell them thank you. They feel like they have meaning and purpose. That's what serving does. So, Andrew, you find an opportunity to serve. Thanks for the question. That's a great one. Mallory says, Do you believe the Genesis flood was global or local? Mallory, there's no question uh, that this flood was global. This wasn't a local flood. This isn't some... Uh, ancient allegory. Uh, the, the flood of Genesis was a flood of judgment. Uh, it changed the entire course of the world. It, it, everybody except Adam and his, or, I'm sorry, Noah and his family, eight people in all, uh, was destroyed because they refused to Jesus. And the reason was because, and I'm going to use the words expressively to make the point, just like the Bible does, every inclination of man's heart was only evil all the time. And so God chose a man who wasn't only evil all the time. It doesn't mean that Noah wasn't a sinner. We know he was. But uh, it was why the world was judged, because the whole world was given over to evil. And it changed the topography of the world. It changed everything about the world. And it purified the Jewish line, so that Jesus would be able to come. So clearly it was a global flood, and anybody that wants to convince you it was local, um, tell them they need Jesus. Here's a question from Fred, also about this crisis. Um, Pastor Ron, how can we best protect ourselves spiritually as the virus crisis drags on and threatens to harm us? physically. Um, Fred, there's there's only one way. Got to be with Jesus. I, I say that so often. I know people don't like it. Oh, it's not that easy. It really is. You got to be with Jesus. Now to be with Jesus, you're going to be in your word. You're going to be a man, Fred, who prays. You're going to wait to hear the voice of the Lord. Imagine you've got the Bible open. God's going to speak to you. Then when it's done, you can sort of just take a walk with him and and, and praise him for all the things that he's done. All you have to do is be with him. And then he's protecting you. You don't need to protect yourself. You be with Jesus. He'll do the protecting. Now that does not mean, and I want everybody to clearly understand this, that does not mean that you're not going to get the virus. 
Believers get it, unbelievers get it. Some live, some die. What it means is that Jesus will protect you, he will protect your ministry, he will protect your heart. And if you're one of those people who happens to get it and suffer severe consequences, then you'll be received into heaven, into his arms. But that's how you protect yourself spiritually. And I appreciate, Fred, that you you use that distinction between the physical and the spiritual. Because, you know, the, the same person that will wash their hands 15 times a day and the a person who will isolate themselves from human contact um, often thinks nothing about God during those difficult times. And all the while, there's an enemy who's trying to destroy them. And the only way we can be equipped, the only way we can fight effectively, is to let Jesus do the fighting. Walk in the Spirit. Demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit coming from your lives. Get up in the morning and open your Bibles and let the Lord speak to your heart. Fred, I'm a morning person. Um, my mind works well in the morning. I've got energy. If i got to exercise physically, I always do it in the morning. But but before that, I need to be with Jesus. That's one of the reasons when I'm out running or when I'm out doing the exercise I do, uh, I, I, I use it as time alone just for me and Jesus. I'm out talking to him and praying and listening for his voice. And as we walk together, because he knows everything that I'm going to encounter the rest of the day. He can prepare me for it. I never understand people say, well, yeah, I, I, I see my praying or my Bible time at night. Well, but by the time night comes, you've been through so many things that God knew you were going to go through. Wouldn't Doesn't it make sense to let him prepare you for those things? So protect yourself by letting Jesus do the protecting, Fred. Good question. Thank you for it very, very much. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here is a caller anonymously uh, who uh, says, "I'm moving to Los Angeles. Is there a Calvary Church in the area out there? And is there a number I can call?" Um, anonymous. There's um, a whole bunch of Calvary churches in Los Angeles. Now I- I'm from that area, so um, I could give you some help if you would want to email us. You can email us. Uh, at questions at calvarysa.com and tell me exactly where in the Los Angeles area you're going to be. Uh, I could recommend you to to friends out there who uh, who I know that I, I know you're going to get taught well and and um, um, just email us. You can go to um, Google Calvary Chapel Association and there will be a list of churches. Um, but uh, I know so many people in the Los Angeles area, good, good friends of mine. Uh, Raul Reese is out there. If you want a huge church, uh, uh, Pancho Juarez, who is the craziest, wonderfully so, but the craziest guy in the world, he's in Montebello. If you're in the Valley, I've got friends out there 
Um, so it's just a matter of where you're going, and I'd be more than happy to give you some direction. God bless you and your move. I pray that the Lord protects you and and um, get ready to be in traffic. <laughs> but it, it's it's uh, that's home for for Paul and for me. Paul was actually born in Los Angeles. Thank you for asking. Here is my next question. It comes from. Meyer, that's the last name or first name. Um, Pastor Ron, I'm going to be going to Bible college soon. Do you have any tips for me? Um, Meyer, yeah, you know, my time in Bible college, um, it was hard. You know, Paul and I, our, my life, because of my sin, had been um, so uh, so broken. Uh, and, and I was a reclamation project. You know, that's what the Lord specializes in. And uh, because I was older than, than the others, I was like uh, 40 years old almost when I got saved. Um, when I was in Bible college, um, I really needed to focus on why I was there. Uh, it's easy, especially if you're younger and you know you fit in socially with a bunch of people there. It's easy to forget why you're there. It's easy to get caught up in the the, the, the pseudo-spirituality of the place. Uh, it's easy to get caught up in doing um, Christianese things that sound good and, and, and yet your heart's not really in it. What you need to remember, and this is the most important tip I can give you, Meyer, is remember that you're never going to get that time back. For me, Bible college was supposed to be two years. Now they shortened the the, the, the program uh, a little bit for, for uh, us. They felt like it was too extreme. So they wanted to lengthen the program for others, but they still gave us a chance to, to graduate uh, on time, actually, as I had a schedule. And um, I can honestly tell you, I didn't get caught up in any social life. Uh, I, I didn't have any agenda. I wanted to learn about God. I wanted to, to, to really, really learn how to hear the Lord and how to be led by the Spirit of God. As it turns out for me, Meyer, um, my time in Bible college, I actually studied harder when I was, before I went to Bible college and after I came out of Bible college than I did in Bible college. So that part wasn't difficult for me. But uh, I had so much ego, so much pride, and I needed to be broken. And God humbled me. And had I been caught up in social life at the Bible college, it's easy to do that. And I got caught up in, had I been caught up in all of that, um, then the breaking part, the humbling part, wouldn't have happened. So enjoy your time. Use the time remembering that you're never going to get it back. Once you were in a Bible college, for me, we were on a mountain in, in uh, Southern California near Lake Arrowhead, California. And um, um, it was like you're in your own little world up there. And when I graduated, and then we, Paul and I, left to come to San Antonio, um, I can't tell you how many times I wish I had some of that time back where it was just me and Jesus, where 100% of my focus could be on on, on connecting with, staying with, and learning about Jesus. So that's the best um, 
advice I can give you. God bless you, and I hope that it all works out well for you. I'd be interested uh, in where you're going to Bible college. You can uh, email that information at Calvary Essay or questions at calvaryessay.com. Here is a question from Nathaniel. Um, Pastor Ron, do you think false teachers are really saved? Uh, Nathaniel, nobody knows who's really saved. I mean, I know I'm saved. I know Paul is saved. But but we don't know. I've said in this program before um, that nobody knows why false teachers teach false doctrine. We don't know what their motives are. We can, we can judge their false teachings, but we can't judge their heart. And I have met some really, really false teachers who were really deceived. They really bought into the false doctrine. And they thought they were serving God in the process. And you tried to tell them, and they, they, they just could never really grasp it. I had one prosperity teacher say to me, and this is a nice man who really loves Jesus. He and his wife, wonderful people. But he looked at me and he said, you know, Ron, I just can't believe that God doesn't want us to have the best of everything right now. And so he had been deceived and convinced And yet, Nathaniel, I'm sure I'm going to see him in heaven. There are others who I am equally convinced have no connection to Jesus at all. They're arrogant. They're prideful. They're unapproachable. You show them what they believe is wrong. You open the Bible with them, and they don't care. They're living above the means of the people in their church and they're not shepherds at all. It's easy for me to say, well, those people probably aren't saved, but Nathaniel, here's the real key. You and I, we don't need to know if they're really saved. God knows those who are his. God will not be mocked, Galatians 6 says. He knows those who are his. So uh, if he knows we don't have to, what we need to do is sound the clarion call of warning against false doctrine wherever we encounter it. That's really important. If we won't stand for its sound doctrine, then Nathaniel, we're not standing at all, not, not with Jesus at least. Thanks for the question. Brian wants to know, this will be the easiest question I've had uh, for, in a long time. What are your thoughts on being slain in the Spirit? I think it's foolishness, it's flesh, it's ugly, and it is not of God. So, Brian, that's my thoughts on being slain in the Spirit. You know, you get these crazy charismatic churches, and every time I say that, I remind you, we are a charismatic church. I am a pastor who has the gift of tongues, and I exercise those gifts. But being slain in the Spirit is nonsensical. So, Brian, it's just not of God. Now, I believe there is a real demonic power that sometimes will take advantage of gullible Christians. I've been in a room, a huge convention center in Anaheim, California, where a very well-known false teacher was knocking people over and decided in the frenzy, the the uncontrolled frenzy, I use that word purposely, 
he decided he was going to start making everybody in the place fall down. And he would wave his hand at one section, then the next section, then the next section, go all the way around the convention center, and whole groups of people would be the whole groups of people would be falling down. And when I saw it happening, I was right in the middle. I said, I'm not going to fall down. And yet there was a power that hit us. It was the deceiving power of the devil. So those are my thoughts on being slain in the spirit, Brian. Don't be involved with people with that kind of foolishness. Remember, self-control is one of the fruits of the spirit. Self-control, if you're out of control, it's not the Holy Spirit. Wendy asks, we've got three minutes, okay. This might be my last question today. Wendy says, when does the baptism of the Holy Spirit happen? Does it happen when you're saved or at a later time? Uh, Wendy, the the answer is both. Um, I think we we look too critically at this baptism. Okay, it's an event. When does it happen? Uh, When we are saved, the Spirit comes and lives within us. It's that simple. We are as much with God as we can be. We have all of the Spirit we'll ever have. When we're born again, we give our life to Jesus Christ. But we also need to be filled continually with the Spirit. That's what Paul says, do not be drunk with wine, but be ye filled with the Spirit. In the Greek, it's present continuous sense. Be ye continually, being filled continually. So that's something we need all the time. If you go through the book of Acts, you will see over and over and over the apostles having the Spirit come upon them, or the early church, the Spirit coming upon them. And everything we do, Wendy, every day, we need this baptism or this filling or this empowering of the Holy Spirit. So once the Spirit lives in us, we need every day to ask for the power of God continually. You know, I know people, Wendy, that have had these um, uh, magical, emotional conversion events, and the Spirit came upon them, and some would speak in tongues, and others would prophesy, and, and, and they're telling that story for 20 years, when in fact there isn't any power in their lives. And they intervened, it's, yeah, but I had that experience. Well, that, that's just the initial baptism of the Holy Spirit. But we need to have the filling of the Holy Spirit every single day. And that's why I say, personally, when I go out to pray, Wendy, today of my own free will, I choose to serve Jesus. Not by might nor by power, but by your Spirit, in your name and for your glory. And when I do that, that's me saying to God, I'm, I'm available, I'm yours. What about me, Lord? What about today? And in Acts 5.32 says, God gives a Spirit and power to those who obey. And then we know that when we do something, we have His power. So yes, the baptism of the Spirit comes when we get saved, but it needs to come every single day. Like American Express, don't leave home without it. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. Been a good program. Love the calls. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Cowley Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. I'll see you tomorrow on AM 630 The Word. God bless you. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. 
The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. I need the word to stand on.